Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball, a very special edition. This is our draft kit edition of the podcast, and we'll keep your podcast feed fresh as we act to the latest news this offseason and spring as we approach your drafts, which are coming up over the next, well, I don't know, month or so. Uh, this podcast is meant to give you an overview of what to expect position by position, your first step in preparing for the season. I'm joined, as always, by Tristan Happy Cockroft. The H does stand for happy. Kyle Sapi produces and researches, and my name is Eric Carabao. Tristan, we're going to go position by position today, but first I want to ask you for an overall um, first couple rounds strategy, and then we'll get to the positions because, to me, you can handle almost any position except for catcher and relief pitcher in the first, say, two or three rounds. So, And it's outfield heavy overall in the, in the top 10. So uh, what's your interpretation of the first couple rounds as compared to previous seasons? Yeah, and interestingly enough, it's also a little shortstop heavy at the top, which is something that experienced fantasy managers aren't familiar with. We thought of shortstop as a very thin position. It's not so much anymore. We've got a lot of outfielders, a lot of shortstops who are taking the uh, top spots. I go these days very heavily best player on the board, and the shortstop tie-in is the key here. There really isn't such a thing as position scarcity these days. There are two. We'll talk about two positions where the strategy of that position is important. Catcher, relief pitcher, I think, are those two clear ones. First base, not quite as deep as it was. But because so many of those spots, first, second, third, short, outfield, even DH, I'd argue, since all these players are relatively close in terms of the positional weights, I would just go with the best player. I'm going to try to lead, uh, load up on as many multi-category hitters as I can. I probably will attempt to get an ace if I can from the starting pitching ranks. But go best player. Don't get cute with this. And Tristan wins his league, so you should listen to what he has to say. I'm just driving the bus. Let's start with first base here because I don't want to start with catcher. First base. There seems like there's one guy who's kind of way above the rest and not as much depth as normal. We both have roughly five or six guys in our top 50, but I mean, I'm not really targeting on them all that much. So your overall takeaway at first base is what? I actually think there are two guys at the top, and I think they're pretty clearly ahead of the, uh, the rest of the crew, and they're a coin flip. But the fact that it's just those and then a pretty big drop-off tells you a lot about the changes at first base. It's not as deep. We haven't seen as many plentiful prospects at this position recently. So the players on the lower tiers are less exciting. They don't have the high ceilings. They're not the likely MVP candidates. Um, I'm very big on the top two, uh, Cody Bellinger, Freddie Freeman. They are excellent guys to build around. I think they are borderline first-round picks. If you're in a deeper league, they probably are first-round picks. But after that, it gets a little bit hazier. There's a tier of maybe six to eight players who belong in those rounds, five to ten. Uh, you know, you got your Jose Abreu's. I'd say even a, a youngster like Vladimir Guerrero, who you and I, I know we both like uh, to break out the season, is in there. Paul Goldschmidt, a guy who's been reliable year over year. And if you're in the lower tiers, you're probably looking at a 260 hitting-ish 2025 home run, know what you're going to get type of guy. The type that you want in a, as a corner infielder, really, but nothing all that impressive what do you do with 2020 season and first base has a lot of guys who struggled in that two-month season matt olson anthony rizzo max muncie josh bell was awful and now he's on a new team so we'll use this for the other positions as well what are you doing with hitters that over a two-month season just to not put up the numbers that we expected so it's case by case as to whether I forgive a player for a bad year. And usually if it's injuries or a lot of absence or it was a team that had an outbreak, for example, the Cardinals, I am a little bit more forgiving. But the fact you brought this up, what's interesting about first base is a lot of these names you mentioned are ones who are nearing their 30th birthday. And that means you should take a little bit more seriously what happened to them last season. You got Goldschmidt I mentioned before, Rizzo. Muncie wasn't quite to the level he was. You mentioned his name as well. Mike Moustakis is past 30. Eric Cosmer is past 30. He had a good year, of course, though. I wouldn't be as all in on a rebound. I that, That's the main reason these guys are more borderline top 100 picks than very clear guys you build your team around. It's that there are some questions. They're legitimate, and they could hound them again in 2021. And there could be some value to gain for some players here, like Anthony Rizzo, who we have way down as opposed to previous seasons. Paul Goldschmidt is not not anywhere close to our top 25s. And Josh Bell, who we disagree with, you rank him, I would say, well. But remember, I look at him as a guy who had like a one or two month run two seasons ago and since then has been kind of bad. So I'm not going to get him in my leagues. Your overall take on these guys that where they rank now is not where they ranked a year ago. That's for sure. 
Yeah, Bell actually resides in a tier where there are some values, where there's some remaining upside. And I include players like Dominic Smith, depending on how the DH shakes out. Eric Hosmer, we mentioned a minute ago, Bell himself. If you believe in Reese, uh, Reese Hoskins, Miguel Sano, big power, lots of swing and miss. That tier all in that group could provide you some very good value, give you top 100 numbers at a price that's not within that top 100. Smith may get in there. I don't know. I I have Bell ranked as a top 15 first baseman, which means in a mix, a deeper mixed league than our standard, he's probably a starter for you just because he showed the power a couple of years ago. I think he is committed to making some of those tweaks and there's upside based on the age he is. He's still 28, not at the 30 years old. So that's an area I might pounce. I actually do think that if you're in round 12, there's a first baseman like this out there. I'll probably pounce at this position. Sleepers and busts for each position. And what really means is value. Like if you think that Josh Bell is a value in round 12, you take him. If you don't, then maybe he's a bust for you. But I want to go a little bit later on. Do you have a sleeper or a bust for this position that you like or basically value picks that are good and bad? So if you're going deeper here, I actually kind of like Jared Walsh, the pitcher yeah, first baseman. Yeah, that's exactly what Very I Very good say. finish to last year. And I figure you probably like him as well. Tied up very much in home runs, but what struck me, a huge improvement in terms of the contact ability. That gives you a lot of upside. That That's something that we weren't expecting to see from Walsh entering last year. Yeah, I agree. I keep moving Jared Walsh up every time I update my rankings. So I, he's going to end up being like a top 200 pick for me at some point. I have Trey Mancini in there. I think he gets back to where he was before. Um, I mentioned Josh Bell. I, I view him as a bust. Um, I like Ryan Mountcastle. I don't like Yuli Gurriel anymore. Um, I think that it's kind of the beginning of the end. A lot of ground balls. The home runs he hit a couple of years ago were like we're barely scraping over the fence. So to me, a little bit of a bust there. Nate Lau, Nate Lowe of Texas. You could argue he can't be a bust for where you're going to take him. He, he could definitely be a sleeper. Bobby Dahlbeck, too. He could. By the way, a guy had a terrible year who could be a sleeper. No one will want him is Evan White. Evan White had very good yeah. hard contact metrics. If you are in a deep league and you need to just take a, a dart throw, interesting name. And if you're in a sim league, that's a future gold glove winner at first base. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and I, I've heard you and I may play sim once in a while. So I think that'd be nice there. Oh, right, that filthy rumor. <laughs> it's a filthy rumor. Second base, a little bit different, of course. Let's move on to that position. And there's um, there's nobody here that we would view as like a top 10 or even top 20 pick, right? I mean, DJ LeMayu, Ozzy Albies are the first second baseman general left the board. I have Whit Merrifield in that class. You don't. But second base, your overall um, uh, takeaway from this position is what? Yeah, and, and I think it's a three-man top tier where LeMahieu mentioned Jose Albies and Whit Merrifield and, and the order in which I, I wouldn't quibble. I mean, some are going to like one better than the other. I personally like LeMahieu mainly because of the position flexibility there, but I agree with you. I don't think they're clear first, second-round picks. I don't think they get to that level. I think they are very good players, but you want to get a premium category filler or a big bopper uh, before you go to this particular spot, partially because... This is another case where there's a good number of top 100 players. There's some good values, not high ceilings, but very high floors in that middle tier. Your Jeff McNeil types. I, I think Jose Altuve could bounce back to a certain point that the floor is high enough that he belongs at least in the in the back end of the top 100. You, you could do all right here if you wait. Now, for those in points leagues, you're looking at walks and getting on base and not making outs. But in rotisserie leagues, stolen bases are very important. And one of the reasons why I've went Merrifield so high in my rotisserie rankings is because I think he could steal 30 bases. And I probably can't name 10 guys who are going to steal 30 bases. So I have Merrifield at the top of this tier. But I can see why LeMayu and Albies. I'm not sure if Albies is stealing five bases or 25 bases. That's part of the yep. issue there. Um, a bunch of names here where you can go in a lot of different directions. Let's put it that way. And obviously, stolen bases, you can get at this category, in this uh, position. Jonathan Villar might run if he finds, you know, uh, Nick Madrigal is a guy who I think can steal some bases. Um, and then later on, hit maybe, a lick, though. <laughs> that's the thing. There's no power there. So he, like he can, he can hit for contact, but he can't. Oh, man, he can't put a charge on the ball at all. He can't. So if you take Nick Madrigal, he, he has to hit 300 for, I think, to be valuable for your fantasy team. And he has to steal some bases. But like, that's like a guy who might end up with zero home runs. It's like. Zero home runs and 30 RBI or something. So just be careful there with Madrigal. A lot of people like him in the middle rounds. I think if you can get Gene Segura like in the same spot as Madrigal, I think that's better value there. Uh, sticking with the top 100, what do you do with Jose Altuve? That's a guy who yeah. that was a bad 2020 season, and he's 30 years old. And obviously there's the weight of what happened with the Astros from 2017 too. Yeah. 
and and the issue with Altuve is that he fell apart. I mean, completely collapsed against breaking pitches. And if you think about what was involved in the cheating scandal, that's going to raise a red flag for a lot of people. It's the main reason I'm not all in on a huge rebound because he's still at the stage of his career at age 30 where he should still be able to give you a high-level season. And I'm leaning towards that optimism, but you'll notice he's at the back end of my top 100 because there are legitimate doubts that he never recaptures the MVP caliber, caliber form he did before. By the way, at 30 years old, you tend to think of players slowing down a little bit. If you shave 5 to 10 stolen bases off his annual total, Altuve's a lot less attractive. But for now, I'm moderately in. Yeah, I mean, I've got Kevin Biggio, Kesson Hura, Jeff McNeil ahead of him, and I think that they're more valuable players. They're younger. Uh, You're not going to get batting average of Biggio, but in a points league, those walks are really going to help you uh, with Kevin Biggio at second base. And who knows where he ends up playing this season, second, third, left field, right field. It could be a lot of spots there. Sleepers and busts for second base. Um, Are you looking for steals here, or are you just looking for a guy who's going to play? I can mention a couple guys here. Luis Ariza, the Twins who hits for average, Wilmer Flores of the Giants, who hits for some pop, Garrett Hampson. It should be a sleeper for people, depending on what the messy Rockies do now. Your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I kind of like the Arise mention because uh, after the signing of Anderson Simmons, I think a lot of people are going to be off him. And he's sort of your light version of Madrigal, where he has great contact, the batting average will be good, but does he give you anything else and does he play enough? I'm going to throw Nico Horner as a deep dive uh, mm. sleeper option there. Probably not on the on the radar for an ESPN standard, but he could carve out a regular role for the Cubs. They are looking more towards the future. He was you know, considered very a, a very attractive prospect to them when they drafted him. Right. So those are a bunch of sleepers there. In terms of busts at this position, I think Madrigal actually for where he's being drafted might end up being a bust for people. Just be a little bit careful there. I think Jay Cronenworth, one good month, one bad month. I don't know. David Fletcher in a points league is good. In a roto league, not so much. What do you do with Gavin Lux of the Dodgers? We assume he's going to play regularly this year, but is that a safe assumption? Mm-hmm. That was the the obvious sleeper type, as I do the air quotes, uh, pick at this position because people love the upside. The question is, does he get the role? Now, the Dodgers have lost a couple of key players. Of course, the free agency, you saw Jock Peterson, Edrinke Hernandez go. Maybe that means Lux gets a, a greater chance at taking an every job, everyday job, job there. And I think he's a capable player, but we need to see it at the major league level. We need to see them lock him in. Yeah, he could he could be a little bit of a bust there. By the way, Jonathan VR. Jonathan VR uh is the the guy I would throw out there as a bust, and I've been unsure how to rank him. He's a guy that I had initially in my top hundred at the beginning of the offseason. And the more I looked at the metrics, he is declining pretty sharply. And you're drafting him because you only need the stolen bases. I'm not sure he gives you anything else or the on-base percentage to drive that. You know, something to keep an eye on. Moving on to shortstop now, you can make a case for Fernando Tatis as the the top player in fantasy if you want. Some people are, but there are three obvious, and I would say four, that you can make for the first round. Francisco Lindor, we don't have in our first round anymore um, coming over from Cleveland baseball team to the Mets, but this is a really good position, Tristan. I can't remember so much, not only depth of the position, but high-end depth, so that's my overall take at shortstop. What's yours? Yeah, when you mention Lindor, Lindor is a little of today's Bryce Harper, where he is a really good player, excellent consistency, the skills are all there, and even though I know I don't rank him as a clear first-rounder, I'm with you on that. He he is a member of this tier, it's just that so far he hasn't put up the high-level player Raider numbers, so what? But I mean, if we're talking about a guy who's probably the fourth shortstop off the board, and he's at worst a mid-round second rounder, that shows you how deep this position is. I mean, I've got seven players in my top 25 at this one. I, I you know, I, I could make you the case that eight or nine of these are top 50 overall picks, depending on the style of your draft. I mean, you know, you've got you got some of these players who give you stolen bases, don't walk a lot. You got your Adalberto Mondesi's, your Tim Andersons, who aren't as good in points leagues. But if you're in a roto, this is a spot where I think you have to put a very serious bit into your strategy. Do you want to pay for one of these premium players, or do you see a sleeper in the lower tiers? Because you're going to be going one direction or the other. You're going to be paying the premium for one of these top eight, or you're going to be diving deep for an upside guy. I don't know what to do with Mondesi. He was so bad for most of the 2020 season, and then he got it going in the final weeks. He doesn't take walks. I don't think he's got good power, but he can steal 50 bases with ease if he wants, and that's even with a sub-300 arm base percentage. I think I'm going to be fading Mondesi in all my leagues. I'd rather wait a little bit longer. I'd rather wait 50 picks for, 
I say Dansby Swanson or Marcus Semien, but they're not going to steal bases. So it's like, I want to get Whit Merrifield instead of Alberto Mondesi. I just don't trust him as a fair thing. And there's another guy, Gleyber Torres, who most of his career numbers are against the Orioles, Javier, and he gets to face them this year, but still Javier Baez. That was a terrible season in 2020. I think there's a bunch of shortstops that I'm fading this year. And those guys I mentioned are among them. Yeah, and that's fair. And I, I think the questions you raise about Torres and Bias are legitimate. That's another case where, yeah, you, you can't completely forgive them for what happened. And, you know, I mean, you heard the complaint very commonly in Bias's case about they couldn't use the video room. The metrics, I, I can't really analyze the metrics for that that particular complaint. I mean, is that going to change the season? We'll see. But, yeah. Carlos Correa, by the way, that's another guy I'd mentioned there. Carlos Correa, a player who we've been waiting forever to be a big breakout option. And he probably now belongs in that Baez and Torres territory in that tier at shortstop, which frankly is probably a middle infielder in a standard ESPN league nowadays. Could be. I don't trust Correa to stay healthy all year, and I'm not sure if he's ever going to hit 25, 30 home runs again. So that's part of the issue there. I think Dansby Swanson's going to hit 25 home runs at some point. So that's kind of why I trust him. Moving on to later this position, some sleepers, some bus. So like bus-wise, I mean, you could make a case for Baez, Torres, Montessi easily enough. Uh, and you mentioned VR already. Uh, with sleepers, um, I can't find a whole lot of late uh, shortstops that I want to – that I, that I got covet yeah. for my middle and right. spot. It's it's thin in the lower tiers, which is my point about you need to make that decision before your draft about the lower tiers because you're dead on. It does fall off pretty quickly once you get in the yeah. lower tiers. So like I feel like Andres Jimenez of the Cleveland baseball team, I know is going to steal some bases. I could use him as my middle infielder. Willie Adamas, I like some, but for how long is he the shortstop there? They've got a pretty good prospect coming up who will play shortstop. So let's tear into that. What do you do there? The top prospect in all of fantasy baseball and all of real baseball is a member of the Rays. Um, do you draft him at all in an ESPN league? We're talking about Wander Franco, of course. Um, what do you do here? So in a standard ESPN league where you have three bench spots, I don't believe we're going to see Franco in the majors at the very beginning of the year. And I think it's going to take at least a month. It is extremely difficult to keep a prospect like that on your bench. You need to be committed and patient to doing so and have a belief that he's going to come up probably by about June 1st. And I'd argue that if he does, he is going to be at worst, I'd say a top 15 fantasy option because he's got a great hit tool and he's got some speed. That means fueling batting average and stolen bases. That's a good base for a player as he adapts all the other ways and tries to grow into some of his power. But I can't, I I mean, I, I, I lean towards a no. I think in an ESPN league, I, I lean towards a no. When I look at that tier, you mentioned some of those names I agree with, Jimenez. I'm going to throw you Meta Rosario as a sleeper. I'm still in on a Rosario. I think if Rosario finds himself a committed position that's not shortstop, doesn't have to worry about the defensive chores, I think he could give you some value. And he probably belongs in a draft tier right around where Franco does. I think that's fair. Moving on to third base now where Jose Ramirez, Manny Machado, uh, the top guys here, but there's some good high-end depth Devers, Rendon Bregman, and Nolan Arenado, who is no longer a member of the Colorado Rockies. He's now on the Cardinals. Briefly, your take here, does he fall out of that uh, maybe second tier of third baseman because of this? I don't think he does, but I think he's at the back of it now. And I kind of thank the Rockies for making that trade to make a decision on a tier that I've struggled mightily to rank. I have gone back and forth on the Bregman, Devers, Rendon, Arenado tier countless times. And I think Arenado is now very clearly at the bottom of that one. But I mean, it's still talking very well about a third base position. If you have two players who you look at as potential first rounders if the league is deep enough, and then a tier of four, right behind it. I mean, you're talking about six excellent third basemen that you could build around. And DJ LeMayu has that eligibility as well. Right. And, you know, normally we would say that like middle infield is where you want to put DJ LeMayu who's eligible at first, second, and third, but maybe not so much. Uh, give us the overall depth as we're talking about all the infield positions now. Yep. I don't think first base is the deepest position or the best position for fantasy baseball anymore. Which one is it? Shortstop? Is it third base? What, what would you say? So I've run metrics on this over the past couple of years, and it's indicated that shortstop is actually the deepest position. But we mentioned that in the lower tiers, it falls off. Third base is the second deepest. First base is next, and second base is slightly behind first. But now, I mean, you could really quibble about the order of any of those. I just think that it really goes shortstop first, and then first or second is down at the bottom of that. The thing about second base that's interesting, we didn't get into this at that position, is that 
the players in the ranked area in a mixed league are multi-eligible players which is not the case at the other spots. So second base is one where you're going to probably end up with players there because you just had enough depth elsewhere that that's where they wound up. But if you look at it from that stance of, oh, second base, I can throw any of those guys at other spots if I need to. You know, it's it's really tough for that reason to, to rank that particular spot. And depending on your your league's rules, having multi-eligibility can really come in handy when somebody goes on the injured list for something or a team is out for a week for whatever reason. So like LeMayu playing, LeMayu and Muncie can play three infield spots. I think that's yep. really valuable. So and Andres Jimenez can as well. So something to note there. Now, what I see around the top 100 at third base, I think is very interesting. You got a couple guys who just came up. From Pennsylvania, Alec Bohm, Cabrian Hayes, and then you got some guys that are falling. Matt Chapman, um, you've got Chris Bryant. Um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. Yoan Moncada is no longer like a top fifty guy; doesn't steal that many bases anymore. So you got the rookies, and then you got these veteran guys. Which way do you want to go? But Alec Bohm's upside is great, but he might just be Chris Bryant. But then again, maybe not thirty home runs. Yeah, third base is a spot where I've been sort of waiting for the values to land to me. I'm not taking a, a distinct approach one way or the other. But the among the names you mentioned, big on Chapman for, for rebounding. You know I love the defensive players. I yeah. do think that he's got the power to, to rebound there. Muncy is also a very power-oriented guy. I liked what Bohm did. He impressed me quite a bit. He's got a good hit tool, much better than I was expecting. So I'm comfortable with him around where he's ranked. Hayes, I don't think the power is legit. It was a very brief sample, and he's in a tough ballpark for it. So I'd be really careful with him. And Mankata, I want to bring you back to Mankata for a second, just because he's another who falls into the 2020 that was a disaster. And he began the year in the COVID list. And I do think that influenced his numbers. So I might be a little bit more forgiving. I think any of those names we mentioned could slip two rounds beneath their ADP. And at that point, I pounce. Sleepers and busts at third base. Um, neither of us ranked Josh Donaldson of the Twins all that well. If somebody thinks he's a top 100 player, I would say you're getting into bus territory there. Uh, J.D. Davis of the Mets, some, be careful about his playing time. He had a lot of options on that team. Um, Ryan McMahon, I think people love him all of a sudden because of you know Arenado getting traded, but really nothing changed for him. So I'm probably fading those guys and sleepers. What do you think of Carter Keboom of the Nationals? Uh, if he, he should play, they should give him a chance to play every day, but he hasn't really hit yet in the majors. And Luis Urias of the Brewers, same type of thing. Yeah, so Keyboom has shown that he has patience. That's all he's shown of the majors. At the same time, where I'll defend him is he's never started more than nine games in a row. And when that happened, he got hurt in the ninth game. So I don't think we've seen Keyboom truly get his opportunity to shine. I'm with you. I think that there's some sleeper potential. I think there's some sleeper potential as well in Yandy Diaz. Still has a good hit tool. I think he's got a little bit of pop that we haven't seen. And you know, Let's mention Jamer Candelario for the good year that he had. He's going to play a lot for Detroit. He's got underrated pop. And those are guys you're going to be waiting until the very end of your ESPN draft. I would be perfectly happy with any as a quarter infielder. Moving on to the outfield now. And obviously the top of the draft board features several outfielders. Now, I often say that when you have to get five outfielders to start for your fantasy team, the position doesn't get all that deep. That's in ESPN leagues. You need five to start. And sometimes you might use one at utility as well. Is that the situation this year? What's your takeaway for outfield? I think you need to address this position more than in the past. Uh, You and I have been doing a 15 team NFBC style draft where I've found that in that format, if you wait, you're going to be forced to give up batting average in exchange for power. And you're going to put yourself in a position of doing a lot of matchups homework. So be very careful because I think that also leans into the ESPN standard leagues where I look at outfielder and say, there's probably a dozen I feel really good about. And then after that, it's really close and all a jumble. And yeah, you can you can set them up into tiers after that, but there isn't a lot of great excitement. There's upside, but not a lot of proven stuff outside that first dozen. When you when you're looking at outfielders that are on your draft board for a roto league and a points league, obviously it's different with the walks. But I think you need some stolen bases here. Um, so, and if you're you're the guy who takes Mike Trout in round one, you may not be getting them. So later on in your draft, you might be chasing stolen bases. So like a guy like Luis Robert of the White Sox, who we think will run versus like a George Springer now in Toronto, who we know is not going to run, that might make make you take Robert over Springer or Starling Marte over Springer, something like that. Are you looking at stolen bases at, at this position? I am, yes. And that kind of 
is what comprises my top 12 is that most of them, our players are going to contribute steals. You've got Betts, Acuna, uh, Trout could still give you steals. I'm not sure it's going to happen necessarily. Yelich is one who can. Kyle Tucker, I think an underrated player in terms of stolen bases. And you mentioned Robert. They're all steals guys who I think belong up there at or in that top 12. Marte is probably right on that borderline as well. And Merrifield brings the outfield eligibility. After that, you're right. You're getting a little bit more one category. If you talk steals outside the top 12 and go in the, the bargain way, everything has a question. Byron Buxton, who's had the injuries over the years and batting average risk. You got Austin Meadows, who had a bad year last year. Is he, does he have an injury reputation that's of concern for you? Another thing to, to really keep in mind for him. Victor Robles. Victor Robles, I mean, he bulked up last year and then he didn't run. I mean, it was like Willie Mays Hayes from the from Major League Two. I mean, what, <laughs> what is he thinking there? If he's not even giving you a stolen bases, he's a zero category player. What's your overall take on guys like Joey Gallo, who we know are not going to win a batting title? Jock Peterson, Kyle Schwarber, Reese Hoskins from first base. There's a lot of players right now who can really hurt your batting average, and that matters in a points league as well. Outs hurt you. Some of these guys will take walks. Are you taking a Joey Gallo in round 10, or are you fading him in a roto league because he might bat his uh, below his weight? I probably lean towards I'll take him, but it forces you to address the roster elsewhere. And that is something that I, I tend not to like to do, and most people shouldn't. It's going to force you to address batting average, and I hate doing that in the draft. But Gallo is special just because he's got an elite power tool. That, that's just He's the kind of guy who could give you 50 home runs and lead the league in home runs as long as he stays healthy enough. So you know, just be careful. It, it, it hamstrings you. It's like what we're going to talk about designated hitters here at one point. It's like that. It does hamstring you. It's not It's not a crisis, but it has an impact. Sleepers and busts in the outfield, and this could probably take another hour on its own. Um, when you're looking at... When we're looking at busts here for the outfield, obviously it's got to be names that go a little bit earlier. And I'm trying to think of guys like, I think if you take like Kyle Lewis too early or Austin Meadows too early, or I think Gallo, Will Myers, I doubt he's going to slug that again. So those those to me are potential busts. Tommy Pham, potential bust. If you're taking him too early, if you're taking him in round 10, maybe it's okay. I, I would much rather talk about the sleepers here, but do you have any other busts here that you say maybe their value is not commensurate with where people take them? Yeah, the one the one he's inched down for me in my rankings throughout the offseason, the more I look at Kyle Lewis, the more I think this could be a rough sophomore slump. He did make some very improvement, uh, Im, Im, important adjustments in his rookie year, but he still showed some of the holes down the stretch. That'd be the number one guy for me. Sleepers now, and I generally guys are taking a little bit later on in the draft, maybe like round 18 or later here. Um, who do you like? Is Andrew Benatendi a sleeper? His value has fallen really apart here, where it may, may not be until the 20th round of drafts. Um, I think there he could be a sleeper. Some other guys, I like Leody Tavares of the Rangers. I think he's going to steal bases. I like Hunter Dozier of the Royals. I think that's a potential 25 to 30 home run guy. And Mitch Hanniger of Seattle, he's really good when he's healthy. He just hasn't been healthy, and 2020 was a lost season for him. Any sleepers for you? I, I do like Haniger. I think there are good reports on him, so well said there, and I'm I'm with you on Tavares. I'm going to throw you Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals, yes, who I yeah. said I'm forgiving the Cardinals for what happened last year. Carlson did impress. It was in one week in a playoff game, but I'll look at that and say, you know, the pedigree is still there. There's no reason we should be looking at him any differently than we did a year ago. I like Austin Hayes a lot. I mean, we talk about Anthony Santander and the Orioles outfielder. Austin Hayes is every bit as talented an outfielder there, and he's going to play every day. I think he's a good value based on where he's going in your drafts uh, to to this stage for sure. Yeah, yeah and, um, and depend, depending on your type of leagues, like some platoon type guys, like Alex Dickerson, Corey Dickerson, these guys hit right-handed pitching. They can help you out if you're in a daily league and you know which pitchers are going to be facing them. Deep dive power speed guy is Mauricio Dubon. You know I'm big on Dubon for this year, and he could get you an infield eligibility. He can, and he's probably the giant center fielder. And I feel like Kristen Pache, if he's a starter for the Braves, can do kind of the same thing, and nobody's yep. talking about him. That's a power speed guy. May not help you so much in batting average, but a, a, a very talented defender, like an Andrew Jones type, Kristen Pache of the Braves. So that's somebody to watch as well. Um, outfield's very interesting. You know, I think outfield's kind of deep this year. You know, in past seasons. And what do you do about the prospects here, like Jared Kalenic of Seattle? Uh, that's a prospect Kelnick, to watch. Kelnick. <laughs> Kelnick, I think he's going to be up probably mid-season, and we think he's going to be really, really good. 
Yeah, we definitely do. I mean, you could throw Joe Adele, who, yeah, played in the oh, majors yeah. last year, but is probably going to start in the minors. These are blue chip prospects who could make an immediate splash. Remember Adele, he, he plays in the same outfield as another guy who had a really terrible debut year. And then the next year, he was everybody's most amazing baseball player ever in Mike Trout. Don't forget about them. It's, as I said, it's it's the same story with Franco, where you could be tying up the three bench spots. But if you're in a league that allows you the bench flexibility, you should be all on board with these blue chip prospects. I think teams are going to be forced to push them a little bit more quickly, especially if they're contenders. Now, you mentioned designated hitter, and I can never remember a season in which we have so many DH-only types that you're going to want to draft on your fantasy team. In past seasons, it's two or three guys. It's like Chris Davis of Oakland, but Chris Davis isn't even a top five designated hitter in our rankings this season. The top tier, and I think we agree with this, the order might be different. Nelson Cruz, Jordan Alvarez of Houston, J.D. Martinez. There's risk here, I guess, with all three of them whether it's age or a poor 2020 or knee problems with Alvarez, how do you like these guys? I I actually have all three of them bunched in the same area here. And if you want to think about draft approach to this position in that tier, I'm going to throw you the comp of another DH guy, and that's Marcel Azuna, who looks a lot like these types. So in other words, when Azuna's off your board, that's when you need to start thinking about these guys, even though they are DH only, because I think there's great bounce back potential for Martinez. There's huge upside, but a lot of risk injury wise for Jordan Alvarez and Nelson Cruz is captain consistency and he is back in Minnesota. It's a good place. We know what he can do there. I do think the numbers are showing a hint of, of decline, but nothing catastrophic by any means. Right. And I guess the only risk here in taking like Alvarez, Cruz or Martinez early is that in round 15, you can't take Jorge Soler or Fran Reyes or even Shohei Otani as a hitter, or Chris Davis of Oakland. Yep. There's, there's or you can lock up your other positions. If you take a first, third, and corner, then you can't take anybody at first or third either. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point there. And I don't think we can do a real sleeper or bust here for designated hitter because there's just not enough of them. But some, something to, we can move on to catcher now where there's sleepers and busts everywhere. And <laughs> we, sh we should note that the catching position in ESPN leagues is different than maybe your league off another site because in ESPN leagues, you only need one catcher. So the way I draft in uh, an ESPN league is different than I may draft in another league. I might wait until the end because I think that the 10th or 11th or 12th catcher off the board is not much different than somebody you might have to spend like a 14th or 15th round pick on. We agree. JT Rulamuto is the top catcher here. What's your overall take at this position at catcher? So I, I tend to want to wait here, but Real Muto is the one guy that I would make the exception and spend an early pick. If he falls outside, I'd say the top 50. That's what I'm giving serious consideration. The reason why is just that he plays a premium spot in the lineup, is going to play every day. I do think he's going to get a plate appearance advantage compared to not only replacement, but just the average catcher. That is something that's pretty huge. After that, I'm going to be going almost all bargains. Catcher is a spot where there's very little that's proven Teams are leaning more towards the the uh, pitching staff manager or the pitch framer. And it's also very difficult in the late rounds just to find a guy to plug into your spot. So you can seriously consider about just leaving the spot blank. You're allowed to do that in ESPN leagues. Or you could just stream catchers on a day-to-day -day basis if you wish. And that does give you an advantage as to waiting. Is that if you're going to stream... Hmm. There's potential busts at this position that people are drafting in the top 300. I mean, Gary Sanchez of the of your Yankees is obvious. I mean, if he bats 150, he just torpedoes your your chances. And that's in a points league as well. It's too many outs. But Travis Darno, older guy, that was a strange season. He hit right-handers. He didn't hit lefties. Uh, what do you do with that? I, we have him ranked well over Gary Sanchez, but I don't know if I trust him. Mitch Garver. Did nothing in 2020, did everything in 2019. Austin Nola came on the scene last season. These are guys that you some people might look at as potential sleepers if they get them late enough, but you could also say they're busts too. Yeah, and I would what I would do is I would look very closely at the rankings of the ADPs and let something fall in your lap here. The metrics were very positive, for examples, like Salvador Perez for Will Smith. You mentioned Darno. Darno's hard contact metrics were excellent last season. If they slipped to you, I would be all on board, even though you know you might have been entering saying, I'll just take the last guy there. And of course, if you look at in that 10 to 15 range, there are guys that you'd be pretty comfortable with. And I'm going to throw you a name that you and I should be talking about. He gets his steals and he gets an outfield eligibility, and that is Dalton Varsho. I saved him as a sleeper for there because a catcher, if Varsho carves out a role for the Diamondbacks, giving you steals from your catcher spot is a pretty big advantage. I totally agree. 
I mean, that's a guy who I think is going to be, if I'm waiting to the last round of an ESPN league, Varsha might be being the catcher I want. It also might be Sean Murphy or Austin Nola. So I, th- I see like 12 safe catchers, maybe 13 with James McCann of the Mets. Is McCann safe? I don't know. Safe for batting average and maybe 15 Adequate. home runs. Adequate. Adequate. <laughs> but like it's a new era now. You might be just forgetting about like Buster Posey or Yachty Molina. And a year ago, we liked Carson Kelly. Now, not so much. Uh, Wilson Ramos. I'm still on board with Kelly. You're still on board with him putting up numbers? I mean, I mean, Varsho, same team. Until the end, I think that Kelly falls in that group. All right, fair enough there. All right, so those are the offensive positions. Um, and in some cases, they're a little offensive. But now we're going to move to pitchers and starting pitcher. And we mentioned this a little bit earlier, Tristan. We want to try to get an ace or maybe two aces in the first five or six rounds. Is that kind of, kind of your strategy? Because this season, you know, no pitchers threw 100 innings in 2020, no matter what country they were pitching in. So can we really expect more than a handful of pitchers to go 200 innings you could make the case that the value of those pitchers goes up quite a bit and you want to make sure you get one of the top five or six guys. I, I hadn't even thought about the overseas inning totals. I got to check this now, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, because we had a 60 game season, workloads are going to come under intense scrutiny this year and you're hearing it across the fantasy industry. And my take from a broad perspective is that we are overrating it a little bit, but it also shouldn't be dismissed. I think what will happen is the guys who are already facing those innings caps or younger players or those coming off significant injuries are going to be very closely maintained. You see what the Padres are doing with that. They're trying to load up on starting pitching arms even beyond the typical starting five just to make sure that they keep guys healthy like Denelson Lamette. I think the aces are the ones that are going to give you those 200-plus innings. I think they are going to be extended, your Garrett Coles, your Jacob deGroms. I think they are going to be given 200-plus frames, and that makes them more attractive this year than in a typical season. I think that's definitely the case. And in a snake draft at ESPN, if two of your first five selections are starting pitchers, I think that's reasonable. At this, And I've never said that before, but if you, if after round five you've got like – Lucas Giolito and Aaron Nola, Max Scherzer, Jack Flaherty. I mean, if you've got two of those guys, I think you've done pretty well. You don't have to take a starting pitcher in the first 20 picks because I still think there's some safe guys after that. Uh, you know, even if you end up with Kenta Maeda and Lance Lynn, veteran guys in their 30s, I think they're pretty safe for this season. At what point at this position do you think you start to get concerned? Because I think there's a stage at the starting pitching spot where you're better to fade the position and just take a lot of dart throws and do a lot of streaming. It means homework, sure, but I think you shouldn't be paying the premium. Where, what number? I, where about, I don't. What I don't ever want to take dart throws with like my top five starting pitchers. I think. Right, I right. think I want to get two, and then like some guys that I like that you can get after the top fifty. I mean, I'm loading up on Kyle Hendricks. I have him as a top 100 guy. I think he's going to have another safe season. He's always good in whip. I think Sonny Gray is, is safe. I think Zach Greinke is a bit of a bargain this season. I think Charlie Morton's a bit of a bargain this season. These are guys that I still trust that I can get after the top 75 overall. I think the back end of the top 20 is when I start to worry because I don't know about Denelson Lamette. I don't know about Carlos Carrasco at age 34. I think Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff are really safe, but I'm not 100% sure. So I think the back end of the top 20 is when I start to get a little bit concerned. How about you? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that once you get to about 20, maybe you could extend it to 25. I start to have significant questions and I'd be very careful about overdrafting a particular player. And I would also shift my strategy towards going towards very high upside. So I can make it the case that if Lamette sneaks outside the top 20 on upside alone, I might take the chance, but I'm going to go a little bit deeper and go for guys like Chris Paddock and Julio Arias who might have innings caps, but give you great upside. And Joe Musgrove, the new Padre, if he clicks there, that could be really great. I'd be even making the case that Corey Kluber trying to rebound from injury with the Yankees gives you the upside you need in that range. We should talk about auction strategy as well. You can, you can, uh, do your auctions at ESPN Fantasy. We have cheat sheets in the draft kit, and you can see tiers of the starting pitchers there as well. Are you more a guy who wants to get an ace or two and spend the $30 in an auction to do that, uh, like a Stars and Scrubs pitching staff, or are you more a guy who wants to get like like five pitchers that are all double digits, at least $10, that you think you can trust for innings? What's your strategy in an auction? I usually like to go with one ace, an anchor, who's potentially $30-plus. And then I like to go on the starting side, 
single digits in the high range if I possibly can. Maybe I'll throw a, a, a low teens bid on somebody. I mentioned Arias before. If he lands there, then that's what I would do. Uh, I probably would lock in two. We'll get to the relief pitchers, of course. Relief types to anchor the ERA, the whip, the strikeouts, and get me some saves. But I'm usually going to go pretty cheap. It's an ace and then a bunch of guys that is going to be, you know, they're going to be streamers throughout the year, especially in an auction where you have more control. You know you're getting that ace. Like, if you know you're going in, I'm getting an ace, you're going to get that ace. They're not going to be stolen from you in a draft. You just pay the extra dollar. Sleepers and busts among starting pitchers. And again, we could spend a lot of time on this one. How do you view a sleeper bust here? Is it because of performance? Is it because of injury concerns? Um, is it because of age? How do you kind of derive what, what, what could be a bust here at starting pitcher? It's a little of both. I mean, if you, so, sleepers are bust first because I, I, the one we'll quibble on. We mentioned the name Granky. That Granky, I'm I'm scared of, and because Steven he's 37 Strasburg, years old. It's it's that he's he, he's not missing bats, and at some point that's going to catch up for with him. I I get what you're saying about the consistency, and I rank him pretty well considering, but I'm a little shaky about him. Frankie was a clear top 20 guy, and I just don't think he's that now. Steven Strasburg, a guy who in the past we would say is a locked-in top 10. Not so sure anymore. I worry about that. Sonny Gray had the injuries at the end of what was an excellent 2019 to 2020 run. I'm starting to have a little bit of questions, and I'm shying from players like that because you have to pay the premium in order to get them. On the sleeper side, I mentioned you know some of the you know, Arias and types like that. I'll throw Dustin May, unproven, doesn't miss bats yet, but has the ability, the raw ability, to potentially add another pitch, make the adjustments. Sixto Sanchez, very brief sample, but he stepped up in a playoff start. I mean, the fact that he did that was impressive. And if you want to talk playoff starts, Ian Anderson, he was outstanding in the postseason. Very little sample, but really great stuff. I think there's good value to be had in after round 20 at starting pitcher. Chris Bassett of Oakland is 32, not an exciting guy, not a ton of strikeouts, but he had a good season. David Price, I think everybody's just forgetting about David Price. I don't really have concerns about him. I think the Dodgers will take care of him. I don't think he'll get 200 innings, but don't just discount him because he's 35 years old. I think the Dodgers know how to take care of, of arms. Um, even Eduardo Rodriguez of Boston, he should be healthy for this season. So I'm, I'm viewing him not as the top 30 starting pitcher that we viewed him as last year going into drafts but I do think he's a bit of a bargain here. So I think don't look at age so much with starting pitchers. I think the health is a little bit more important, but when it comes to like price and, and Erod health, you know, should be okay. Like Noah Syndergaard and Chris sale is a, their arms had surgery. That's yeah. different. And I don't they know. Won't if be ready opening day. That's another yeah, thing mid season there, but I think there's some value to be had with some older starting pitchers um, in drafts. Do you agree with that? Or are you looking at like you mentioned Sixto Sanchez? Are you looking at like Tristan McKenzie? Cause he has your name of Cleveland, yeah. Nate Pearson. There's a lot of young uh, Michael Kopak of the white Sox. A lot of good young starting pitchers out there. You stole my thunder by using Tristan McKenzie. I was going to mention him as a guy that he I spells think... his name differently though. Is it different? He is does it spell o. it differently. Yeah. If he could, if I could teach him some spelling, I might be a bigger fan, but you know, I'll forgive him. Why not? I get, I get my name misspelled in the mail anyway, myself. So <laughs> I'm with you a little on the, the older players that are going the David price range is that I would pay there. I think that because he missed last year, there's kind of a negative case being made about him. That's not really founded in reality here. I do think he's a good value. Uh, besides McKenzie, um, Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers. I do think there is the possibility he could lock down himself a, a starting job. That's a guy I would definitely keep in mind. Uh, McKenzie Gore could be an option for the Padres midseason. Don't forget about him. I'm still a little on the Mitch Keller bandwagon. I, Look, I know last year was pretty bad. His command numbers were kind of shaky, but I still think there's something there. And give me Jamison Tyone. I do think Tyone is in a great spot to rebound, and he's with his teammate Gary Cole. I think there's going to be a lot of talking about pitch selection. There'll be an innings cap, but I, I see some upside. The least shocking thing you've said on any podcast is that you're investing in a Yankee starting pitcher. <laughs> can't yep. say that I'm surprised. Moving on to relief pitchers now, and I can't find 10 relief pitchers for my top 10. I think that's my biggest takeaway here is that there's a couple of guys that we think are safe top 100 picks. Josh Hader, Liam Hendricks, the New York Yankee lefty. But I can't find 10 guys that I really trust because – I'm starting to look at guys who I'm not sure are going to get saves or a bulk of saves like Karinchak on the Cleveland team, Nick Anderson, Devin Williams in Milwaukee. I'm not sure any of those guys will get a lot of saves, but they're just better than some of these other pitchers that I think will get saves but may not have a good ERA or whip like Brad Hand, Ken Lee Jansen. I just don't know about those guys. Your thoughts on relief pitcher overall? 
I, I think it was really well said that you struggle to find 10 relief pitchers to rank because I find it difficult to find 10 relief pitchers to rank. And when we're talking about Brad Hand as a pretty clear member of the top 10 and we have questions about the skill set, it tells you a lot about this position. I think it's a combination of a few things. The leaning towards com- uh, closers by committee. I think the fact that the free agent market this offseason developed very, very slowly hurt the spot. And I also think the teams are increasingly peddling off their relievers to contending teams where a team will end up having three, quote, air quote, closers on their roster, and only one guy can close on any given night. So that's a real issue, too. So, you know, at this spot, I'm, I'm taking a lot of – I'll probably take one clear guy from that top six, seven, and then I'm going to take three or four dart throws, and I'm probably going to hope that one or two of them is going to be an ERA ratio or K uh, helper. You mentioned Williams. Drew Pomerantz, one you didn't mention that I'd throw in there. I think Will Smith, if he's not closing, is still going to help you in those ratios and strikeouts. And there's going to be somebody from the Cardinals bullpen, Gio, uh, Gio Gallegos or uh, Jordan Hicks, is probably going to help you in one or the other. How would you define punting on saves? Because I think this is the season where I'm punting saves in a couple leagues, or I'll take some dart throws a little bit later on, like you mentioned with those Cardinals. There's a bunch of teams that have unclear uh, close, closer situations. Philadelphia is another one of those. Is, it, is this the year to punt on saves and just give up on the category? No. Um, I don't advise punting in any situation. And there's a difference between punting and cheapy cheap. Cheapy cheap is fine especially in a year like this. If you don't want to pay the premium for the top guys, your Josh Haters, your Liam Hendricks, Yankees Coles, you mentioned, um, then it's okay to just wait and fill the category later. True punting is you don't want saves. You legitimately do not want them on your roster. You want to invest zero resources in filling that one category at the benefit of filling every one of the other four pitching and probably loading up on the hitting side. It is very difficult to make work. You can't have other things go wrong on your roster. So be careful when you're going with the true punting. But I'm with you. You you could go cheap. We could probably throw you a good four or five names here. That Let's are do that because uh, yeah, I'm not. Re- I'm not, maybe I'm not punting so much as I uh, like in the you're later rounds. I'll go. Well, you make. I, I don't want to say those words like that. It just sounds weird. <laughs> cheapy, cheap. Um, but like, if I end up cheap, with like, cheap, cheap. <laughs> you're a bird. Uh, Stephen Crichton of Arizona, cheap. Um, Bradley Ornelas of Philadelphia. Yeah, but you know what? Are they? Is he going to close? I don't know. That's the whole point. I'm not. I'm not investing anything good because if I take him in the last round or two of an ESPN or yeah. in a deeper league, I could just move on if he's not closing. Like. I, if Matt you Barnes, hand, you, you, hand, what, you, you paired the two together. You paired Crichton and you paired Joaquin Soria together right, in another draft. That. Right. That's I, why. That's why I did that. Or like, I think Lucas Sims of Cincinnati is re- potentially really good, but I don't know if he's Cincinnati's closer because they've made some other moves. So at Texas, I think Jonathan Hernandez should get saves, but it depends on Jose Leclerc's yeah. health. So I'm willing to, those are some sleepers that I like a little bit later on. Do you have yep. any different sleepers there that you like? Yeah, the Cincinnati one's interesting because they've got four guys that could really end up closing. I mean, you could throw, besides Sean Doolittle, who ended, ended up there, you got TJ Antone, who I don't think a lot of people are talking about uh, very much. Uh, Richard Rodriguez of the Pirates, a guy who I think has, he's got the closer role ready to just step right into it. And he actually had some pretty darn good metrics. Two of the past three years were very effective. I was surprised when I dug deep on his numbers. I think he's one who could. We mentioned Han being a little bit uh, shaky, Tanner Rainey behind him. In Washington, Tanner Rainey's got some great stuff. If he stays healthy, definitely could get you some saves. The Padres could go mix and match. Emilio Pagan is one. I think you took Emilio Pagan in, in the draft that we were recently in, didn't you? Yeah, I think I think that there's a bunch of teams. There's a bunch of teams that are going to share the spot there. So at relief pitcher, I'm probably going to wait and not take one of the top guys. You probably will take one of the top guys and then try to mix and match later. So it's a different strategy and we'll see how it works out this season. All right. In lieu of actual hash browns from Twitter where people uh, send in in their tweets and we find out what they want. Here are some common questions that seem to come up every draft season. Um, In an ESPN standard, which is 10 team ESPN rotor points, where do you want to pick in a draft? Do you want to pick first? Do you want to pick last somewhere in the middle? So you can kind of be in the middle of the runs. What do you think? I would like to be the fifth pick this year. I want to be right smack dab in the middle. For one thing, I like the pacing of the pick in the middle. I always have that has nothing to do with the pool in any given season, but this year you're getting a gift at number five. The decisions are being made for you from what I think is a very clear top five overall tier. And frankly, you could make the case that either Trey Turner or Garrett Cole belongs in that tier. And it's a tier of seven. So I'll go right in the middle. You? 
I generally like to pick back to back. So I th think picking last works for me because I can still get two great players. I don't worry about other teams in my league starting runs. I, I end them. I don't start them. So I, I think I'm not, I'm not taking a catcher. I'm not taking relief pitchers until late. I'm going to get my stolen bases. I, I generally like to like uh, have like two or three players for each pick. And then if you're picking consecutive, you can take two players. So I kind of like to do that. But I like what you're saying there. Trout tends to fall to the fifth pick in a lot of leagues, if not him, then Soto might. So uh, Tatis might. That's just crazy. So there's five which, obvious picks for a top five. Which pick don't you want? Maybe one. <laughs> because that's, that's the same with me. You know, because <laughs> like choice. I can make the, the case for three or four guys for the number one overall pick, and they're all kind of yeah. the same. So I maybe want to last a little bit longer. Um, in a custom league, and you can do that at ESPN Fantasy, which categories are you placing? Batting average, maybe go saves and holds. What are your ideal categories for a 10-team league, Tristan? I actually really like the fact that Tout Wars replaced in the 5x5 five five simply batting average with on-base percentage. Give some credit to the walks. Even, even if the only change you make is as simple as that, I think it's going to work to your benefit. I personally like going 6x6, six six, adding slugging percentage, but that creates some problems on the pitching side. I like to go strikeouts by ratio in order to bump up some of the relief pitchers' value. Uh, you give innings pitched. I think that innings pitched is a very underrated category for pitchers. It's outs. And teams consider outs precious nowadays. It's not the old days where you'd get, you know, seven players on a team throwing 200 innings and they're all at a 420 ERA. Those are innings that are being given out to guys who actually deserve it. And I think it does warrant being a category. All right. The pandemic has not gone away. Please wear your mask. So in a custom league, how do you structure injured reserve, injured league spots? Because you know that people are going to get the virus still in the spring and it might wipe out a whole team for a week. So are you making like an unlimited uh, like reserve spots here? Do you expand your benches? How are you doing your leagues? I have created in mind the custom ability to allow as many as you need when players or their teams are struck by COVID-19. If there's any sort of outbreak, even if the players aren't put on the list themselves, I do provide flexibility in my own leagues. And again, you mentioned with custom, you have the flexibility to add extended spots. And if it's a custom league, you can use the league manager in order to oversee whether people are abusing that privilege. But yeah, I would add extra spots. Even if you need to have some sort of cap, I would expand it. I would recommend at minimum you have three IL spots because things probably are going to happen and you don't want people to be in that bad luck spot where they have six or seven members of the top hundred, not enough place to keep them on their roster and they're letting them out on the free agent list. It's not. It's not good for competitiveness in your league. Check out ESPN's Draft Kit. Lots of great material there. We have three sets of rankings, Tristan's, mine, and AJ Mass with points. Uh, lots of great material that is already in the Draft Kit and will be added over the next six weeks or so until opening day. Uh, I'll have my Do Not Draft list and my Do Draft list. Tristan's Playbook is a must-read every season, probably one of the best things that we put out at ESPN Fantasy. So, uh, the draft kit is the place to be. And then for, in terms of the uh, fantasy focus baseball podcast, we're planning to be here twice a week recording throughout the entire season. Um, and in March, breaking down everything we see previewing the games to come talking about the trends that you need to know the players you want to add. So keep an eye on Twitter when it comes to submitting hash Browns and Kyle Soppy, the best researcher and producer in the biz will tally them up and read them on every show. And that is the deal. So Tristan, any final thoughts here? As uh, as we tell everybody about our draft kit and our schedule for the Fantasy Focus Baseball podcast, any other strategy you can give for, for approaching a, a league, a team, anything like that? Yeah, know your league context. We cannot stress that enough, and I think it wraps up our show pretty well to remind that you mentioned Mondesi. Mondesi has a wide split between rotisserie and points-based leagues. Whether you have positions at certain spots, the catchers, if you have two of them or one, is big. And if you're not paying attention, you have nobody else to blame but yourself when you get in the point in the draft and you have a question or somebody does something you didn't expect. Read your rules. Rule number one. <laughs> Absolutely. Well said, my friend. All right. He is Tristan H. Cockroft and Kyle Sapi as well here producing. I am Eric Carabell. Please have an awesome fantasy baseball season.